I'm glad you're here. Are you glad to be here? Good deal. Good deal. Today you're going to learn a lesson about Jesus. And if you get it, if you really get it, it'll encourage you to take the next step in your spiritual journey. You ask, Ronnie, where, where am I going to discover this lesson at? You're going to discover it in a story found in the book of Luke, chapter 6, verse 12 through 19. And I want us to start reading it together. Verse number 12 starts, One day soon afterward. Now let's stop. Because those four words could probably have better been rendered with these three words in those days. In what days? In those days when hostility toward Jesus was escalating. In these days, Jesus was making enemies. I must admit, that sounds funny even coming out of my mouth. Jesus making enemies? He was not only making enemies, his enemies were growing at an exponential rate. Now, who were the enemies of Jesus? In my mind, this is what I would think. I bet his enemies came from the criminal community. Huh? I bet his enemies, I bet some of his enemies came from the uh, leaders of the porn industry. Right? They had to be against this holy man, this righteous man, and what he was preaching and teaching. Or, or maybe his enemies were coming from members of the drug cartel. Maybe pimps and prostitutes and people who made their living peddling evil because, I mean, Jesus was leading people to turn from a sinful lifestyle to right living. So uh, he had to be bad for business. Well, I was shocked to discover that Jesus' enemies weren't coming from the criminal community. They came from the religious community. Can you believe that? His enemies came from people who claimed to know and belong to God. Men and women who had an extensive list of do's and don'ts. Men and women who were at the synagogue every Sabbath. Why would religious people choose to make themselves enemies of Jesus? Well, first of all, they were threatened by Him. Because Jesus was exposing their hypocrisy. It's one thing... Anybody can claim to know and belong to God. Doesn't mean you do. Anybody can possess this impressive list of do's and don'ts. It's another thing to adhere to it. Anybody can go down to the synagogue and hear preaching. It's another thing to practice it. These people were famous for their hypocrisy. And now Jesus is exposing them for what they really were. I mean, you know, before this, you think. They could claim to be the real deal. Who would know any different? Now all of a sudden there's Jesus walking around and everybody can see the real deal and compare Jesus to these guys. And man, they weren't liking what was happening. I think there was a second reason that they were his enemies. They were jealous of him. 
tell you, Jesus was the hot ticket at this time. He came into town, hundreds of people, if not thousands of people, came out to hear him teach, to be blessed by him. You know, his following is growing, and their following was diminishing. A lot of his followers came from people that used to be their followers. Man, they were jealous. And so, you know, the, the, in, in the book of Luke, we've, we've already, at this point in chapter 6, found the record of uh, five different times when Jesus had a serious conflict with religious people. And at the conclusion of every one of those instances, you know, hostility was escalating to the point that the leaders of this religion met together to decide what are we going to do with Jesus? And they came to the conclusion we must eliminate the threat. We must eliminate the competition. And how were they going to do that? They decided they would kill him. Now that's some good old time religion, isn't it? Huh? Kill the one who came who's doing so much good for so many people. But that's the conclusion they came to. Let's kill him. I guess maybe you could put it like this. Let's have him killed. Hmm? Now, Jesus was God, and as God, he's omniscient, which means he knows everything. So he knew, Tommy, what they were talking about behind closed doors. He knew what they were planning, and Jesus even knew this. They're going to succeed. They're going to kill me. So let's go back to our verse. In those days, Jesus went up on a mountain to pray. And he prayed to God all night long. At daybreak, he called together all of his disciples and chose 12 of them to be apostles. Here are their names. Now, why was Jesus praying? He had an important decision he had to make. From his small circle of followers, Jesus was about to choose 12 men who would be called apostles, and he was going to actually continue his work through these men. He was going to continue his work through these men after he's gone, after he's dead. This is a big decision. This is an important decision. It's a decision he wouldn't dare make without input from his father. So Jesus is praying. You say, I get that part, but why was he praying all night? Because the need was urgent. Well, it was time. It was time for these 12 men to knew what Jesus had planned for them. It was time for Jesus to take his own hands training program to another level so that he could have them ready to go after he was crucified. So he prayed until he received clear guidance. By daybreak, he knew who they were. So he gathered his group of followers around and he told them, I've been praying come to a conclusion, I need 12 of you to become apostles. Now, what is an apostle? The word apostle means sent one. S-E-N-T, sent one. These 12 apostles were the men that Jesus was going to send out with his complete authority to continue his work. Now, who were the 12 that he chose? Look at verse number 14. 
First of all, he chose Simon, whom he named Peter. And then there was a guy named Andrew, not just an Andrew, who was it? It was Peter's brother. And then there was James and John. Now take note of this. The first four men on this list were fishermen. Huh? And we are an elite group, by the way. Simon, Andrew, James, and John. And then there was Philip and Bartholomew. And then there's Matthew. The guy we talked about last week. I mean, from the depths of sin. Now he's one of the twelve sent ones. Then there's Thomas and James, not just any James. James, the son of Alphaeus. Simon, who was called the Zealot. How would you like to repeat? You know, this guy was known for his enthusiasm, his fire, his energy. I got to believe that Mark Bagwell is a descendant of this Simon. He was the cheerleader among the group. Nothing derogatory meant by that comment, Mark. It's just that I saw you in a princess outfit. Never seen you in a cheerleader's outfit. Don't care to. Then there was Judas, son of James. Look at this last guy, Judas Iscariot, who later betrayed him. What a way to be remembered. What a way to be described. I mean, how would you like for your claim to fame to be, oh, that, who was that? That was Ronnie, Ronnie Hodge. The guy that turned his back on Jesus in Jesus' critical hour. What a way to do Look at verse 17. It says, when they came down from the mountain, the disciples. Now, as we read this, I want you to notice three distinct groups of people who were with Jesus when he came down from the mountain. The first are called disciples. This is actually a reference to those 12 guys, the apostles. So there's a group. When they came down the mountain, the apostles stood with Jesus in a large level area, surrounded by many of his second group. Got it? And by the third group. Now in this crowd, look what Luke says. There were people from all over Judea and from Jerusalem and from as far north as the seacoast of Tyre and Sidon. What he's saying here is... People came from all over the country and they gathered around Jesus in this crowd when he came down off the mountain. Why had they come? Look at verse 18. They had come to hear him and to be healed of their diseases. And those troubled, troubled by evil spirits were healed. Everyone tried to touch him because healing power went out from him. And he healed everyone. Now, what do we learn in this story about Jesus? Here's what I feel that I learned this week. Jesus works through people. Jesus works, right? And how does he work? He works through people. Jesus knew his time on earth was short. He knew the religious community would have him killed. He knew the needs of mankind were great, and he knew that his work really had only started. Jesus knew that his work had to continue in his absence, and he knew exactly how he was going to accomplish this. He would continue, yes, even expand his work by working through human beings. 
So after a long night of prayer, Jesus chose 12 men through whom he would continue his work long after his death. This had been his plan for these men from the very beginning. This is not something Jesus came up with that night he spent in prayer. He had known all along this was what he was going to do. He saved these men and invited them to follow him. In the context of their relationship, he mentored them so that one day he can work through them. This is kind of the way it worked. Jesus did something for them so that he could do something in them. And Jesus did something in them so that he could do something through them. Jesus was going to continue his work through people. Can we say the same of believers today? Does Jesus plan to carry out his work through us? Sure he does. I want you to read a couple of verses with me from the New Testament book of Ephesians. They're going to be on the screen here in just a minute. And these words are being written by the Apostle Paul to a church, probably a lot like Golden Corner Church. And I guess you could say what he's trying to do here is explain to this church the role of their staff. Now look what he says. Verse number 11. Now these are the gifts Christ gave to the church. Now I want you to notice. This is not a list of spiritual gifts. This is a list of people. Who were these people? The apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the pastors and teachers. Now, what was their work? What were they responsible to do? Look at verse 12. Their responsibility is to equip God's people to do His work. Man, I, you know, I hated to say that out loud. Because in, in, this, in the church circles, that can be a, 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 an offensive word. We've got words in the church we love to use, like, how's this one? Forgive. That's a good word, isn't it? Huh? What about uh, love? Well, there's a good one, Ronnie. Love. I like that one. What about this? Blessing. You like that one? Blessing. You want to get in trouble at a church? Use this word. Work. Man, that'll shut her down. That'll lock her down tight as a drum when you use that word. Did I say work? When you use that word? When you use that word? Now I've really got you confused. Look what he says. Their job, their responsibility is to train God's people so that they do God's work and the church will be built up. The body of Christ. According to these verses, Jesus gifted men and women and then gave them as gifts to the church. Why? He gave these gifted individuals to the church so they could equip God's people to do God's work. Yes, we are all crossed means of carrying on His work. Jesus works through people. Now, with that in mind, I've got to ask you a question. You listening? Gotcha. There's six of you listening. That's good enough. I've got to ask you this question. How's the work going? How much work is Jesus currently accomplishing through you? If everybody worked the way you work, would anyone 
else ever be saved. If everyone worked the way you do, would anyone ever be seriously prayed for or sincerely cared for? If everyone worked the way you do, would anyone around here ever receive any encouragement? You say, Ronnie, I don't know that I'm liking the direction this is going. That's why I didn't forewarn you what I was preaching this week. I got you now. These doors are closed. You're going nowhere. If everyone worked the way you do, would anyone at this church ever grow spiritually? Would children be loved, led, and taught the Bible if everyone worked the way you do? If everyone worked the way you do, how much of God's work would ever be accomplished? So, evaluate yourself. Because I, I know what some of you are doing. You're evaluating your husband. You know what? He's evaluating you. I want you to stop that. I want you to evaluate yourself. As far as you're concerned, how's the work going through you? Not well? I think I might know why. Let me explain this. In our story, there were three groups of people who were with Jesus when he came down from the mountain. I want us to take a close look at him, and I want to ask you to do something. Listen to me. Don't you go to sleep on me. You hear me? Now, I'm having to use my notes a lot more this morning than I normally do. I want to tell you why. Now, every morning this week, Patrick, I woke up no later than 4 o'clock. I never used an alarm clock. I, that's a, listen, if you're going to give me a Christmas gift, don't give me an alarm clock. I don't need one. So the only day I ever set a clock is on Sunday mornings. And this morning, I cut myself some slack. I set it 30 minutes later than normally. I set it for 4.30 a.m. Guess what time I got up? 6.05. So I've got to use my notes more this morning than ever. So it means you've got to work a little harder, pay attention to what I say. And I don't want you to miss what I'm saying because I know I've got a word, of God, word from God for you. So you're going to stay awake and listen to me? Okay, good. Group number one, the crowd. This group consists of people who are attracted to Jesus because of what he can do for them. When Jesus came down from the mountain, he was greeted by the crowd. Men and women had come from everywhere to find him. Why? They wanted something from him. They wanted to hear him teach, or they wanted to be healed, or they wanted to be delivered from some demonic torment. They all wanted something from him, and that's what attracted them to Jesus. And of these three groups, this was by far the largest group. Group number two, the followers. This group consists of people who are attracted to Jesus because of what he can do in them. There was a much smaller group of people with Jesus when he came down off that mountain. They were described as followers or disciples, and these two words are synonymous. 
A disciple was a devoted student and protege of a mentor. And in this case, we're talking about followers of Christ. Followers wanted to be like Jesus. They wanted to share his ideals, values, and priorities. They wanted to think like, talk like, and act like Jesus. So they committed themselves, first of all, to Jesus, and then they committed themselves to this process of learning and obeying his teachings. Group three, the workers. This group consists of people who are attracted to Jesus because of what he can do through them. The smallest group of people with Jesus was the apostles. Let's call them the workers because... These were the men who were going to work for Jesus. They were going to evangelize, minister to, and teach others. They were going to expend energy and invest their lives in an effort to perpetuate the work of Christ. Three groups. Now, here's what I believe. I believe that every church, even Golden Corner Church, still consists of those same three groups. The crowd, the followers, and the workers. The average congregation probably looks something like this. The largest group in most churches will be the crowd. People in the crowd only want something from Jesus. Bless me. Help me. Guide me. Give me. I think people in the crowd view Jesus as this big cosmic vending machine. Press B5, get a new house. Press C2, get a new girlfriend. Press E3, get a better job. You know, in the Old Testament book of Job, the devil actually accused a man named Job of having this attitude toward God. The devil told God, Job is only attracted to you because of the things you do for him. People in the crowd only see Jesus as a means to a better life. There is, of course, a much smaller group in most churches, the followers. The people in this group want to grow. They want to evolve and become like Christ in their character. They want to be men and women of integrity. Followers want to live like and love like Jesus. They want to be godly, unselfish, patient, and kind. So they give their lives to Jesus. Follower, uh, the crowd is real interested in what Jesus gives. Followers are very interested in what they can give to Jesus. They submit to his authority and they devote themselves to the process of learning. Followers spend personal time with Jesus, reading and reflecting on the Bible. They actively, regularly listen to sound Bible teaching because they have every intention of applying what they learn. Followers embrace a lifestyle of obedience to their mentor, Jesus, and for that reason, they are constantly growing. There's a third group, the workers. Workers want to share Jesus. They want others to experience what they're experiencing. They want others to find what they have found in Christ. Workers live with a hand raised to God saying, here I am, send me. I'll do it. Workers are available for whatever. They show up early, 
stay late and take care of things most people would never think of. This group, well, this group will always be the smallest group in a church. Even your church. Now, you know that I've got to ask you this question. Which group do you belong to? You say, Ronnie, how could I tell? The crowd wants a handout. Followers often stand out. And workers, they're about to give out. You want to know which group you belong to? You can probably tell by listening to yourself pray. When you, when you pray, do you ever hear yourself uh, saying something like this? Jesus, do something for me and change my life. That's a good crowd prayer. When you pray, do you hear yourself praying something like this? Jesus, do something for me and change my life. And while you're at it, do something in me and change me. That's a prayer of a follower. Maybe you hear yourself praying this way. Jesus, do something for me and change my life. And while you're at it, do something in me and change me. And oh yeah, before you stop working, Jesus, do something through me and change others. That's the prayer of a worker. Well, where did you find yourself? Are you a worker? No, then what group do you belong to? Now, you do know there's nothing wrong with being a part of the crowd, don't you? Everybody starts in the crowd. We're all attracted to Jesus at first because of what He can do for us. Maybe you're a follower. There's certainly nothing wrong with that. Jesus was constantly calling people to follow Him. And in this series, I feel like I've just harped on it every Sunday. What do we do? Follow Jesus. Anna, follow Jesus. I just keep telling you, do the same thing. Follow Jesus. Being a follower is a good thing. But if you're not a worker, could the problem be that you've gotten hung up in one of the other groups? Maybe you got hung up in the crowd. Maybe you got hung up as a follower. You say, Ronnie, what are you talking about? Let me explain. This is the way church is supposed to work. Everybody starts in the crowd. But at some point in our spiritual lives, we're supposed to migrate from the crowd into the next group called the followers. And everybody that migrates into that group is supposed to eventually migrate from the followers into the workers so that every one of us is eventually sharing in the work of Christ. That's the way it was supposed to happen. Unfortunately, in church, it never seems to work that way. Something goes wrong. and People never move from the crowd into the followers and you know, people never move from the followers into the workers. Has that happened to you? 
you stuck? Have you stopped going forward? I can't answer that. You've got to answer that. Jesus works through people, and I want to tell you this. He's bound and determined to work through you. And so, Ronnie, what do you think it's going to take for that to ever happen? You've got to take your next step. You've got to move to your next group. How do we do that? Well, as you can tell, I don't have time to elaborate on that. So next week, we're going to come back. We're going to talk. I'm giving you forewarning. I know the attendance will be down next week. I got that. Here's what we've got some questions we've got to answer. If you find yourself in the crowd and you've been saved any length of time at all, Something's gone wrong. By this time, you should have moved into the followers. And if you're a follower and you've been there any length of time, you haven't moved into the workers, listen to me. Something's gone wrong. That's not natural, that's not healthy. There's a problem. And so what we want to do is sit down and talk about this next week. What can cause a person to hang up in one of those first two groups and never become a worker? We need to look at that. We need to answer this question. Okay, if I want to take that step, how do I take that step? And we're going to close with this one. Why do I even need to pay attention to this? Why do I need to listen to what you're saying? What value is in this? If I become one of the workers that Jesus intended I be. You hear what I said? Not that I necessarily want you to be. It was His plan for you from the beginning. He planned to do something for you so that eventually He could do something in you so that he could take your life and do something through you. I hope you come back. Let me pray for you. Father, I'm going to make this brief and to the point. I open the sermon by saying that there was a lesson we were going to learn about Jesus, and if we did it, really get it. It's going to encourage us to take our next step. My prayers are simple.